is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth. This was my sermon for March 13, 2022. I hope you enjoy. God bless. Kind of weird. You hike 10 miles and your pants keep falling off. And I. <clears throat> nice part was is I, uh, I, I lost, uh, I, I, uh, I gained a belt loop, which is great, um, but ne- not necessarily in the sense that uh, now I don't have any more holes in my belt. So that's a good thing, right? Yeah, okay. My knees are still angry with me, but that'll be all right. My scripture this morning is taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many lives, for many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction. Their God is the belly. And their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation so that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. You know, we don't hear much from this section of Philippians. And I think part of the problem with it is, is the phrase heaven. Uh, you know, one of the interesting conversations that we had in Sunday school a couple weeks ago, if not last week, was this conversation that we as church have struggled with for a very long time. So we don't talk about heaven very much. As a church, just in general. Part of the problem with heaven is, is that there's so many discussions about it that are not necessarily biblical. There's conversations that the church have created in the moments of pain and suffering that are beautiful, but not, again, not necessarily biblical. The fascinating thing about the book of, about heaven is most of what we know about heaven isn't even in your Bible, but it was a part of the early church canon known as the book of Enoch. And we talk about it in Sunday school and things that nature as in books of passing tomes that mattered to us, but not necessarily are found in the Bible today. And, and you, you know the stories of the book of Enoch. It's in that place that you hear about the battle in heaven and hell. You hear about Lucifer being passed from heaven to someplace else. It's in that book that we also don't necessarily get it, but it is considered a conversation about uh, how these things came into being. Now, the fascinating thing is, is if you were to look in the Hebrew Bible, there are very few mentions of the afterlife. Uh, there's, a, there's a Jewish understanding about death that is not uh, what we have adopted in Christianity. 
There are moments that we talk about Lucifer, however, that there is a place where it talks about specifically where Lucifer was cast out, the morning star, it's the language, was cast out of heaven and thrown into the seas of Tartarus and chained to the pit of hell. <clears throat> in the New Testament, uh, Jesus talks about it um, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. I go to prepare a place of many rooms. If I would not have done so, why do I tell you that I go to prepare a place? And if I tell you that I go to prepare a place, then I'm going to take you with me. And the part I always leave off in the midst of a funeral service or celebration of life is Thomas's reaction. When Jesus says, and you know the way to the place where I, you know, I'm going, I will not leave you orphaned and things of that nature. <clears throat> Thomas very humanely says, Jesus, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't know the way to where you're speaking. And you can hear Jesus's frustration. As I like to refer to it, it's that moment where you could hear Jesus's eyebrow raise. Like, are you kidding me? What do you mean you don't know what I'm talking about? You, you want to you hear him screaming at them. But what Jesus does, which is much better than I would do, he says, uh, I promise you, I will not leave you orphaned. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. It's beautiful, beautiful language. The other place that we hear about heaven is in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. And it's literally a new Jerusalem coming out of the heavens, heavens, plural, out of the heavens to replace the old one where it'll be an ending to mourning and crying and pain, right? For the old order has passed. It's the language there. And I am the alpha and the omega. There's this boom, power, right? Even in the scripture, we struggle with trying to describe heaven. There's another part to this passage that Paul is talking about here in Philippians. He's talking about inviting his readers to imitate him and to also be cognizant of others in the relationship of the life of these churches. He even says there's enemies all around. There's this important. Paul says, in order for you to understand this, you must imitate me. So it has to bring up mentors. It has to. I mean, there's no other way to get around it. Here's the conversation about heaven, which you're all supposed to know. Why? Because you've had a relationship with Paul. You don't get to know Paul's answers unless you were a friend of his or an imitator of his. I'm going to switch gears for just a second. This, this week is a big week for the Bell household and uh, for my grandmother and all of them. Uh, this March 17th, my grandfather passed away. Um, it was the day I got ordained. It's like this really big, important life in our, in our church, in my, in my family's life. And granddad was probably one of the best mentors I ever had. Granddad saw me before anybody else just this kind of idea uh, that I was going to be a minister whether I liked it or not. Uh, and that I was going to have to figure it out eventually. 
Now, the fascinating part about my grandfather is, is that uh, it, you may have heard this story, but if you have, just bear with me. You're going to get to hear it again. My grandfather was uh, a miracle to medical science. Somewhere in the late 50s, early 60s, he had uh, what we call a cerebral hemorrhage. And you all that were alive at that time, remember that in medical technology, they did not have the things available that they do today. So when people had cerebral hemorrhages, they literally went back to the Stone Ages and they drilled a hole in the back of my grandfather's head to relieve the pressure. And in that process, there was so much that we didn't know about the healing and therapeutic care of cerebral hemorrhages that it even got to the point where we were afraid to talk. I wasn't alive, but my mom and my aunts were afraid to laugh out loud or to scream or anything because you didn't know if that jolt or that sudden scare might kill him. Like that's the language that the doctors would use. Now, my granddad, I didn't know him from that. All I know is, is that about a month or so after I was born, he would had another cerebral hemorrhage, which again put him in another medical journal because somehow my grandfather fully recuperated after the first one. And then after the second one is when he officially lost his sight, which he still could see, but out of the tunnel, out of his left eye, and he would do this eyebrow thing I, that I have inherited, uh, that he would look at me and, mm -hmm, okay, fella, and would go on. And the only reason I'm bringing him up is this, this brilliant man had a photographic memory, one of the only people I've ever met in my entire life that had a true photographic memory. He was a librarian, and he had all of these books memorized. After his first cerebral hemorrhage, he never lost that memory. And he didn't lose the ability to read. So, I mean, I'm talking 30 to 40,000 books in his brain of over any subject. And you could ask him where you would find it. And he would tell you what book, what page number, where it was on the page. And he'd get so frustrated when they would reprint or redo editions. Because he couldn't remember that or never could see it. By the time I knew him, he called himself a Christian mystic. His goal was not necessarily what was on the pages of Scripture, but what was beyond the pages of Scripture. So as Paul is talking about this moment of heaven, and to be imitators of himself, Granddad would just simply say, well, what does that mean? How does one do that? And of course, I'd have a quick answer. Well, you know, by being a good... No, no. Where's the Logos? The Word of God. Where's this at? Uh, I don't know, Granddad. Well, it's on that book, on that page, on that shelf. Go pull it up, and you're like, okay, fine. You'd open it up, and you'd read it. Now, why am I bringing him up and this conversation? Well, he's the only person that I've ever known that had an afterlife, after-death experience. And it was much later in my life when he and I were sitting in their living room having this conversation because I'd heard the stories from my mom and my aunts about how he had died and had come back to life. And I remember asking him, uh, Grandfather, how did this work? He said, well, fella, 
it went kind of like this. All I remember was it, that it was somewhat warm. I felt no anxiety, no, no pain, no sorrow, no anger. And he says, you know, I know a lot of people talk about this big, bright light. But he said, I saw the light way down at the end of this tunnel, kind of flickering like a candle in, uh, across an Oklahoma plain. Like the wind kind of blowing and flickering the, the flame. He says, I, I, I knew that I, the last memory that I had, he said, the last memory I had at the moment was watching your grandmother and my, my, uh, your, your mom and your aunts scared. They have no idea what's going on. And I just needed to get back to them. That's the only thing I kept feeling. And in my grandfather's way of explaining things, said in that moment, I heard a voice. He said it wasn't a big booming voice, voice like Charlton Heston. And, and in my mind, I always added, or Morgan Freeman. He said, but I felt a voice telling me, not right now. And the next thing I know is, my eyes were awakened, and it was three weeks later, and I was laying in a hospital bed. Now, I know that in books and movies and series of things of that nature, we hear all of these beautiful stories about our faith. Even in the book of Enoch, which is the reason it didn't make it into the canon, by the way, is it was considered too mystical to talk about what happened beyond the pages. And it is a little bit. There's dragons and unicorns and all kinds of stuff in that book. But in the process, my grandfather, who had a photographic memory, explained to me what it was in the afterlife that gave me a sense of comfort. Now, I know the church has said many, many times that when we pass on, there's, you're joined with your families and your friends, and I believe that 110%. But <laughs> I came to that understanding because of my mentors. Those that brought me up in the faith. Those that were imitators of Christ and of Paul taught me to believe and understand that there was something after death. You see, that's the importance here, church. When Paul says to be an imitator of myself, he is not saying this in such a way that says, oh, I want you to do good things so that other people will do good things. No, he's literally following in the footsteps of Jesus who physically died and then as a human, and there's his fully human moment, but as a fully divine human being came back from the dead three days later. No wonder we spend a whole season of the year talking about Jesus' death and resurrection. In our own faith tradition, our deacons and elders are not lifted up on some sort of pedestal. They are called upon by our congregation to help be uh, 
an imitator of Christ. To be that representation of Jesus when the world cannot do it for ourselves. He talks about earthly things, earthbound or earth-minded. And gives us a glimpse of something of the divine. A place, a moment, where we would have the ability to be with God and Jesus Christ. So, I didn't give you an answer as to what heaven is. Because I, I, I don't necessarily have that specific answer. I'm still alive. And I've never had an after-death experience. But what I do know from my own mentors is it's something more beautiful than I can ever fathom. And my job, as long as I have breath, is continue to be an imitator of Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.